Um, I, uh, oh, here. Now, today we're going to talk. I don't expect, you know, I don't, when I went to college, and you show up to class, and you look at the syllabus, and you see that you, have, you should have read like half the book already. <laughs> that always bothered me. I know. That still goes on in my family. Oh, yeah. See, I, I think that's unreasonable. I try my best to be reasonable. So, uh, so today, we're going to talk. We have a preamble, a preface. So um, I, uh, I, I did get the reading, or I had a reading schedule thing. Oh, hey, you got them already. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we are. Uh, Pastor Bukes, are you out there? Now, is he coming back? Now, we're one book short, Pastor Bukes. Or, or your wife could give uh, Cindy hers. And, uh, all right, well, we got a couple. Now, here's the long story short. We're going to order, and we'll get them by Monday. Well, yeah, uh, whatchamacallit, what's it called, Amazon Prime? We're still in it. Grandfathered, I think, for one more year. Didn't they get rid of it or something? Okay. Or they raised the price, whatever. Yeah, it's still, we, yeah, it's, it's. Okay, now, okay, so my point is, is that um, we're actually going to start reading the book this week. You know, I don't expect you to know something about the book. Um, and... So today we're going to talk about the Bible. Go figure, right? Bible study. Um, and one of the things that we are... Uh, so here's the thing. If uh, I have a little discussion guide, you don't really need it. But if you want to... Bonnie, can you just... So Nuts and Bolts. Uh, our book is called Anything But God, written by Jennifer Fulweiler. She... Ah, uh, yeah, sorry. But you always call it that. I do. That's how it translates. In fact, it's in the bookmark, right? Yeah, it's close enough, and it might be even in here. No, it's not good, so I only got it wrong a couple of places. There is a uh, a blog. Uh, I think Martha needs a book. Okay, so Jennifer Fulweiler, uh, raised an atheist. You'll read this in the books. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but uh, the... Um, she has, there's a couple things that I think are kind of fun to take a look at, and if you are into doing this, great, is uh, she has a blog, and it's, it's conversiondiary.com. She still writes on it. it it's uh, about a variety of things now. Um, check it out. She, uh, you'll find out through the story, is that she started kind of writing in chat rooms back in the early 2000s, um, just about her questions about atheism. She was raised an atheist. And, and eventually, when she converted to Christianity, she changed the name of her blog to Conversion Diary. Okay. Then uh, the other thing, too, is she's got a little web series called Minor Revisions, and it's about her writing the book. I, I like it, so I recommend it. But it, these things you don't have to do. It's just one of those things where... I'm one of those guys who watches all the bonus features on the DVD. <laughs> like, I love that stuff. The making of, the commentary, I love all that stuff. So, it, 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 
in those in those things. Okay. Um, and y'all have a book. Are there any questions about the book? Oh, fifteen dollars. Somebody asks about money. We have the. What did you call this? The money pot. Money pot. Money pot. Not a honey pot. It's a money pot. Money box. Box container. Uh, it's all on the honor system. I don't check, and I. There's two ways of handling money: keeping track of every cent or not keeping track of it at all. I don't keep track of it. Now, here's the thing: I've gotten through life because I don't spend it. I'm simple. I'm a simple man. Okay. Where are we going now? Oh yeah, Bible stories. Got a question. Uh, one of the things that you know. So this book. First of all, uh, I know Carol Holter. You, you finished the book, right, Carol? I have one complaint. Yeah, yeah. What's the one complaint? I lost patience. You can't put it down. It's a really great read. And my reading, my reading schedule or my reading calendar is about twenty pages each week. That's just kind of basically we're just going to kind of just keep pace. Um, so I, I have a feeling many of you might just read it all in one week. I, I read it. I read it very quickly. I mean, I, I couldn't put it down. It was, it was very interesting. And one of the things that I found most interesting was just the, 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 the nature of her journey. And then I started thinking about the Bible. And, you know, last week I just, saw, I said, I just started asking questions around the study. I said, um, you know, tell me about conversion stories in the Bible. And I received all different answers. So I'm going to ask you. Conversion stories in the Bible. Can you name some? Ready, go. Cindy. All right, now let's, okay. That's interesting. Oh, Rahab. Okay, good. I'm going to write these down, actually. Um, all right, oh, good, man. You guys are good. I, uh, now, some, so hang on, before, before, uh, before we keep going, um, we're going to kind of explore the nature of these conversion stories. And maybe we might find out they're not actually conversion stories. But um, this is about marriage. We do, we do. This is, uh, so I, uh, this is the castle of love. We, we, uh, um, this will be another day, maybe. Maybe we'll do that another day. I, uh, okay, so we have Paul, Rahab, Ruth, what else? What is that, blind men? Okay. Zacchaeus. All right, slow down. So, leper. I feel like now we're just naming people. And your point? All right, good. That's actually good because I wanted to ask about like well, how would you define conversion? This is not working well, is it? 
All right, now, hang on. So when I say conversion stories, I don't mean people who just show up and be Christian. I mean, like, we need to be able to tell the story. So James, that would be one. Like, how, how would you tell the story of James' conversion? Like, what would be your... I know, but is there a story to it? Like, someone confronted him with something and he converted? I don't think so. So that, okay, that would be one where I would say, okay, that's maybe stretching it. Um... The Ethiopian eunuch. All right, now one of the things, the reason why I bring that up, Barbara, because I'm glad you actually said it, guinea pig, is um, there's a story. There's always a story to conversion. And sometimes when people show up in our life, you know, they're just, you know, they're Christians. I mean, hey, you just met them. And we kind of just kind of roll with it, you know. I mean, when I showed up here, I don't know all your stories, but you all have one, okay? And so that is something when we look at the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, what are these people's stories? All right, so I've got to write these down now. Rahab, first of all, who is Rahab? Well, let's, 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 let's get a little bit more. She's Jericho, but what was her job? She was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night. And it was interesting, if you ever read that story, these guys, it's not like, hey, no one would take me in, and oh, hey, we've got to go to the prostitute. It was like a beeline. Right to the, which raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? All right. This is important because our conversion stories that we will actually talk about here in Scripture um, are, are uh, filled with a lot of interesting details. So, whatever your conversion stories are, if you have a lot of interesting details, then that's just normal. That's normal. That's normal Bible talk. Oftentimes, like I, when I talk with the kids, uh, a lot of like, especially junior hires and high schoolers, they think, like, I came out of the womb as a pastor. <laughs> you know, like, I have no... I have no Rahab stories in my background. I'm not saying you should always advertise those, but I'm just saying. Okay, where were we? Ruth? Oh, yeah, Rahab. Okay, good, yes. Rahab. So, um, Moses leads the people out of... Uh, Egypt wander in the 40, uh, 40 years in the, in the wilderness, and then they come up to the promised land, and they are on the east side of the Jordan River. And they kind of look across the Jordan River, and they're like, oh, man, we a little nervous about entering into this land. Even though God promised us this land, uh, there's a lot of people who don't want to like, just give it up. So Joshua, who is the guy who took over for Moses, sent out some spies and Jericho was kind of their first stop when they, well, eventually when they crossed the Jordan River. So these two spies go to Jericho. And Jericho has somehow been told that these Israelites are on the horizon and they're going to come and take over. And Rahab, pr- prostitute Rahab, 
Uh, these, these men show up under the cover of darkness. Now you might ask yourself, okay, the only place that would be open at nighttime would be a prostitute place, whatever you call it. I mean, I don't want to call it, yeah. Uh, what, what did we, you know, there was this place in Wausau, Wisconsin, where I'm from. It's now the Hiawatha Restaurant. And <laughs> brothel, brothel, there we go. We'll call it brothel. <laughs> Hiawatha, great Friday night fish fry. Did you ever go to Wausau? But the Hiawatha used to be the brothel, right next to the train station, guys. Loggers, back up. Oh, okay, anyways. So imagine Wausau, Wisconsin, some lumberjacks coming, and they go right to the Hiawatha. They go right to Rahab's place, and, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know what happens there, but there is a conversation. And Rahab has heard that uh, the God of Israel is going to come and fight for them and take over Jericho. And they, he, she says to the two spies, um, hey, when this happens, promise that you're not going to kill me and my family. I'm going to protect you. Because they apparently weren't too sneaky because some people found out about them, told the king, and the king's like, get those guys because we need to stop them from taking over the city. So they actually go to Rahab's place, and Rahab actually hides them in the roof, the flax roof. I, I think it says flax. Or, um, which is like a big compost pile, by the way. Yeah, you always kind of wonder, like, you know, how could they not, like, figure out they're in the roof? Well... Under normal circumstances, people don't hide in a bunch, you know, a big pile of horse manure. So, it's. Uh, but she had a good idea. Anyways, so the, uh, so they're saved. They, the guys leave, and then Rahab's like lets them out the window. She apparently her place was in the city wall, apparently, and the two spies says, "Here, take this scarlet thread, put it in your window, and when we come, anybody who's inside this place will be saved. Those who aren't will die." Um. And so Rahab saved, saved the two spies. There we go. Um, I, but she uh, she became part of the she yeah yeah she confessed the one true faith in a sense. All right, Ruth. These are all Old Testament before Jesus. So um, I, I kind of talk about the one true faith because, they, I mean, technically they weren't Christians, I guess. I mean, if you want to use that kind of legal term, but um, a term legally, I should say. All right, so Ruth, does everyone know the story of Ruth? Ruth is a very good story. This is a fascinating story where Ruth is not an Israelite, but she's a Moabite. All you need to know is she's not an Israelite. That's, that's fine. Um, and uh, Emelech. Emelech and Naomi go to the place of Moab because of um, a drought or whatever. They, 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 they need food. So they go to Moab because they heard it's nice there, and maybe they were going to retire there. I don't know. But they had two sons, and they married Moabite women. One of the sons married Ruth. I, I can't remember the, if the other daughter's named or not, and I can't remember the son's name. It's like... One begins with an M and one begins with a C, I think. What is it? Killing and what? Malon. Malon, yeah, there you go. 
Oh, yeah, it's that. It looks like Oprah. That's right. Oh, or Pa. Or Pa. That's right. Good. And anyways, um, the sons, well, Amalek dies. The, son, the sons die. Naomi, back in those days, Naomi had no, no family now. And she had no one to take care of her. So in a sense, she had no income. And so she was going to go back to her nation. And by doing that, she, she released her daughters from any kind of, or her daughters-in-laws from responsibilities to her. But um, Ruth, well, uh, Orpah ended up going back to the Moabites. And Ruth clung to Naomi. That's it's a real important word. Like she, I mean, she literally clung. And uh, she said, your people are my people. Your, your God is my God. So it was, it was a great kind of thing. Um, okay. What did we say, Paul? Story of Paul. Now, here's the thing. We have two people who are not part of the one true faith. Now, Paul, he's a peculiar one, isn't he? Because would you... So I would not describe him as a... Uh, I would. I don't know. I, I would. I, I, this word is not necessarily politically correct, but I wouldn't consider him a pagan. He was a Jew of the highest That's right. Did he know his Bible? Yep. Yeah. Right. But he already had the religion that Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, we, we don't want to overplay that too much, but in theory, yes. All right, so Paul's another peculiar story because he knew his Bible left and right. He knew the story of Rahab. He knew the story of Ruth. He knew the story of David and uh, Solomon and all these other guys, that Moses. But, of course, we still call it a conversion story. All right. So... That's another interesting thing. He had an amazing conversion story, right? Because the light that uh, he's riding along, he's about to kill some Christians. Something, you know, something that's typically not done now these days in America. Uh, but he's going to go about, he's going to either arrest, kill, I don't know, he's going to take care of some Christians in uh, Damascus, which is in Syria. He, uh, on the road, bright light, knocks him off his horse, and he says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Um, Go to Damascus, meet this guy, Ananias, and things will work out. (laughs) And they did. He converted to uh, the way, which we we would know as as the Christian faith, and he uh, was baptized. And then he stayed there for years and was, uh, yeah, very interesting. And then you get, you, so you have the story told in Acts chapter 8. Yep, and then he tells his own conversion story, I believe in Acts 25 or 6, to the governor. And um, so that's kind of interesting, too. So, okay. Other conversion stories. So we have one who maybe knew his Bible. Well, he didn't know his Bible and came to faith, which is always, this is a good question. Um, There's an organization.
believe if you just give someone a Bible, they'll become Christians. Paul's story maybe begs to differ. And also, the Ethiopian eunuch, which was brought up earlier. Ethiopian eunuch. I think that's Acts chapter 7. He went up to the temple to worship. So he apparently was a Jew. Or of, of Jewish faith. And on his way back from the temple, Philip, who's a deacon, uh, sees him and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks, hey, do you know what you're doing? And he's like, no, unless someone tells me. How, how am I going to know unless somebody shows me what, what this means? In Ethiopia, uh, and then Philip tops in the chariot, tells him what this means, and the Ethiopian says, well, hey, there's water right here. Why am I not baptized? And Philip baptizes him, and then something miraculous happens. Philip is taken off somewhere. We don't know exactly what that means, but in the spirit he was, he was taken away. So, uh, Ethiopian and Paul both had some good Bible knowledge. They were, read, they were doing their daily devotions. So that's, that's kind of an interesting little thing about conversion stories. We had two people who didn't know anything about the Bible. We have to ask ourselves, how did they convert? What was their thing that came, you know, prompted them? And Paul, okay, so next, somebody said, what was the next one? There's another conversion story. Woman at the well. Okay, that would be an interesting one. What would be her conversion story? Right. Yeah, now who was she part of already, though? Yeah, so what would that mean? Yeah, she's not a Gentile. That's right. Jews that didn't worship, and it's in the story, right? Hey, you, you, they, uh, Jews say we, you worship in Jerusalem, we say we worship here. They are half, um, well, this is a derogatory way of talking about it, but they were considered half-breeds. They weren't pure, uh, pure Jewish blood. Um, so, they kind of knew their Bible, they kind of didn't. So, okay. All right, so you're, what you said, their conversion story was, Jesus told me something about myself. And what did he, t- what did he say to her? What did he know about her? Uh, lifestyle. Well, what does that mean? She had seven husbands. Or she had seven. Yeah, now why did she have seven husbands? This is a point of contention, and I actually preached on this, and I said one. I, I gave an alternative interpretation. Yeah, they all died. <laughs> Woman at Samaria. Woman at well. Oh, man. I cannot do two things at once, can I? Holy smokes. Yeah, I, I, I argue that because uh, Jesus actually calls the men husbands. And the only way you can have a husband is if one died. So anyways, but the thing was is that he told her something uh, shameful. He, he knew the shame of her life. And he, and he named it. He wasn't afraid of it. He didn't keep it secret. Okay, so... Man, good job, Carol. All 
I hope, hope, you know what, the reason why I'm talking about this is hopefully you start asking yourself about your own conversion stories. And then also, as we come, I mean, first of all, do you know someone, do you know a Rahab? Do you know a Ruth? Do you know a Paul? Do you know, well, an Ethiopian eunuch might be kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, not many of those around to, you know. But uh, a woman at the well, do you, know someone, do you know someone like that? Or are you one of these people already? Okay, uh, some more conversion stories. Or did you want to say something more about the woman at the well? Well, King Josiah, yeah, it, I would say it's Josiah's story. He's kind of the main guy in that story. Oh, man, I found the Bible sitting in here. The Torah. Pentateuch, probably. They're like, holy smokes, I never heard these words before. Yeah, now that's a, that's a very interesting conversion story. King Josiah. Boy. Uh, okay, so King Josiah, king of Israel, at that time, the worship life in Israel did not resemble anything that we probably would think of if we learned in Sunday school or confirmation or something like that. They actually had, like, idols, like in the church. So if you, like, we showed up and we saw a, a statue of Aphrodite, you know, on the altar, in place of the crucifix. And we were, were cool with that. Not only that, but the practices of these foreign gods were done inside the temple. So, I don't know, do you know anything about the cultic? We talked about the cultic life last year in Thessalonians. Pretty, oof. That was done in the church. Yeah, King Josiah, all son, coming in the temple and he's cleaning things out, doing some housekeeping. Holy smokes, he found the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he starts reading it. And he's, oh my gosh. He is just uh, enraptured by this and realizes that the entire, him and the entire nation has to repent. And so he reads this publicly. And I, I think the, the words actually say of all of Israel. Well, that's not, I mean... I mean, unless he had like a really good like sound system. I don't know if he could travel that far. But in theory, everybody heard this and then simply just uh, were, were uh, moved to tears that God had, set, had said such a word and that they had ignored it or, or you know, basically renounced it. Okay, so King Josiah's story is very interesting and all of Israel's story because where do they come from? A place of what? Think about it in terms of like uh, okay uh, okay they came from Babylon so what, what does that mean though like um, forgetfulness yeah that one would might even say ignorance they didn't know okay yeah oh good thank you there was something inside them that when they heard what was true. They knew it. Which, you have to ask yourself, before that happening, what was going on in their souls? Had they come to a place of rest? 
Or are they restless? Or are they longing for something? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But you got to ask yourself those questions. Yes? Right. Yep. Yeah, in fact, I heard an interesting story yesterday about um, a church in Tanzania. And one of the things that they still do in some places, you know, this isn't right, but it goes to what Nancy was saying was, um, if someone had some sort of problem, uh, the the witch doctor is still used. I mean, that just happens. I'm like, what? Well, anyways. All right. Krista. I was thinking of Nineveh. Who? Oh, Nineveh, yeah. The city. Yeah, oh, that's another great one. Nineveh. Nineveh, huge city. Uh, Our reluctant prophet Jonah did not want to go there because he hated Nineveh. It's a whole other interesting thing about conversion one who speaks is also greatly impacted, for better or for worse. Jonah Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Of course, he gets swallowed up by the great fish, thrown into the, you know, puked up on the shore. Finally gets to Nineveh, says what he has to say, and the king of Nineveh, well, actually, all of Nineveh repents. Now, Jonah, that was his worst fear, that they would repent. He hated these people. I mean, hated. Wished them to die. Kind of hate people. Not like, eh, I don't really like you very much, but like, I wish you were dead, and I will rejoice at your death. Kind of hate. Like, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have that kind of hate. Well, at least I don't think so. I, maybe I pretend I don't, but... Um, and God says he, you know, so Jonah, as much as he's unfaithful to his calling, he actually does, actually still does it. And these people repent and change. Crazy. Next. Ooh, now his, his is an interesting, I did, I did not have him on my list. Why, why do you say, well, Simon the sorcerer, what in the world? Uh, he converted when? Right. And then later he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it, you're kind of, you're at the end of the story, you're not sure if he actually believed or not, or if he stuck with it. So that's another interesting conversion story. The power of God in someone's life changes someone else. Like he saw the power of God in this person, you know, the people who were being healed. And he said, oh, man, that's that. I want some of that. I want to so he's drawn into it, but he's drawn into it for something that is not actually uh, true, the real reason. 
Uh, Simon the Sorcerer. Elizabeth. Oh. All right, Thief on the Cross, and then the Centurion. Thief, Centurion, it's all kind of in the same moment. Now, the Thief one, actually, I, it, I, we don't know if it's actually a conversion or not. Because we don't know what he was before. We just know he was a thief. You know, I know plenty of Christians who are thieves. <laughs> so, uh, but yes. But it doesn't matter. So for our purposes, those, the centurion and the thief, what, what, has them, what, what happens to them to actually confess the faith? They experience Jesus in most precisely where, though? Yeah, it is death on the cross. Now, that we, that was a whole other year of Bible studies right there. But the Saturian actually says, seeing the way he died, said, truly this, this man was the Son of God. Now, what does that mean, the way he died? What does that mean? So, it, what means a good death, and what does that mean? Faithfulness but ultimately love. He saw what love can do, and he said, this is it. Now the thief, you know, so we'll, we'll include the thief in that, but the, the reason why I say the centurion is because most likely the centurion was a Roman or some other, uh, he wasn't part of the Israel or, or the family of faith necessarily. Now the thief, we don't know for sure, he might not have been. There's a good argument that he wasn't. Because, uh, uh, well, anyways. All right. That's, we don't need to get into that. The, the cross is most important. All right, man, I'm, I'm interested. The, the, the one that we came up with right away upstairs, none of you have said so far, so I find this interesting. Krista. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of unusual things. In Mark especially, though, it's when he gave up, when, when he died and let out his last breath, that caused the centurion to speak. I don't want to say it's not the whole thing, but I, I, I often think it's the, the gasp. Oh, yeah. Peter and the jailer. <sighs> it's Paul. Well, actually, there's two, there's two experiences. Peter was in jail, let out by the angel. Paul and Silas, when the earthquake came, the jailer is about to... Were you going to say that, Cindy? No, I'm going to say the jailer. Oh. Jailer was the first... That was like the first one that came up upstairs. We're all like, hey, what about the Philippian jailer? All right. Jailer. Okay. We, we need to stop talking about all this stuff. Um <laughs> The, uh, oh, we'll put Zacchaeus up here, too. That's another interesting one. Is there an H in here? Two C's. I had two C's. There you go. It's Zach. Good enough. All right. The jailer, the jailer is a, a really interesting one for a variety of reasons, but it's, uh, he's, he's definitely not, he has no association with the true faith whatsoever. He's a, an occupier, you could say. And he, um, there's an earthquake. All the jail cells are broken loose. He presumes 
that they have all escaped and gone away, which means his death, because that's part of the job description. If anybody gets away, you die. Um, and he takes out his sword, and he's about to kill himself. And, all, and all, right at that moment, Paul says, hey, we're still here. And then the jailer, that's in Acts 16, the jailer says, he falls down at their feet and says, what, what must I do to be saved? Now, of course, why would he say that? Mm. Singing and uh, something else. Praying and singing. That's a very interesting thing. Well, it doesn't say that, so we don't want to presume that kind of stuff. All right, oh, Naaman. Naaman, uh, he uh, was a Syrian, and he had leprosy, tried all his medical knowledge up in the, uh, Assyri- I think he's Assyrian, or he could have been Persian. I mean, he's Syrian by ethnicity, but he served under one of those foreign kings, I can't remember. Second Kings, chapter 5. Yeah, that might have been the Persians, but um, the Babylonians. Anywho, servant girl from Israel says to uh, Naaman's wife, "Hey, why doesn't why doesn't the master go down to uh, to Judah and talk to Elisha?" And his wife says, "Why not? Let's do it." And he goes to the king of Israel. Because, of course, he thinks the king must have all the power. And the king is freaking out because he thinks, oh my gosh, this guy really thinks that I can heal him when I can't. And he thinks he's going to start a war. Because, you know, if the king can't heal him. So he actually goes to, to Naaman and says, what's going on? Are you trying to start something? You know, I don't want to do this. So I'm going to lose this battle. And, uh, but he eventually gets to Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even come out of his house and says, just go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman doesn't believe him. He's upset, in fact. Says, you know, I have these pretty rivers, and you, you tell me to go wash in this dirty river. And so he does, healed, and then he, can, he says, this is the one true God, and he, he confesses, he becomes part of the family of God. And then, Elisha's servant dies, I think, because he takes advantage of all the gifts. Oh, because he brings uh, bringing money. Yeah. Naaman thinks his his status is going to get him healed. You know, Elisha basically is like, you know, I, I imagine. I see. I always imagine Elisha as Frank Sinatra in the Saturday Night Live skit, where uh, he he he's got. Phil Hartman, and there's Chris Rock, and Sting, and Mike Myers, and, uh, and they are all different characters. And uh, Frank Sinatra, played by Phil Hartman, says to Chris Rock, who's actually um, whatever from uh, Two Live Crew. I can't no, he's not too bad. He's the lead Skywalker. He's a rapper. <laughs> he says to him, I got... He's like, I got, ch- I got chunks of people like you in my, my stool. Which is completely offensive. It's awful. I thought it was funny. I'm, I laugh at that part. 
And I always think Elisha's kind of like that. Like, you're not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of... And, uh, and uh, Naaman is so offended. I mean, he's so enraged. But it just kind of goes to show that, you know, what God considers, you know, uh, what, what God takes in consideration, man doesn't always, and, you know, vice versa. So Naaman, that was another one that came up. Uh, Abram is another one. Abraham. Kind of the fundamental calling, right? Abraham, God comes out of nowhere. Nancy, what were you going to say? Well, Naaman, though, Oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, no, hang on. So yeah, he asks for forgiveness because he's going to have to hold the arm of his king when they go into the temple of uh, Raman. Now the question would be, why would you ask forgiveness for that, unless he felt like he was doing something against the one true God? Yeah. So uh, Elisha says, you know, you'll be forgiven. It won't be held against you. So uh, that's a very another interesting conversion story. Because I think a lot of us... Okay, well, I, we were supposed to talk about what this means then. Well, Barb, did you have something? Well, you had mentioned Moses in another context, but is Moses a conversion? Moses was born into the family of faith, which now goes to another question. Yes, there's a, everyone is converted. We all have a conversion story. The reason why I bring up all these is, is to really show the tapestry of conversion. I grew up in a, in, a, in a different Christian denomination that had a very distinct view of what conversion meant. And if you didn't fit into that, then you probably weren't a Christian. And... What's ironic of the whole thing is if you just spend a little time with the Bible, I mean, we spent a half an hour, well, yeah, about a half an hour talking about conversion stories in the Bible. I mean, we, we, how many did we talk about? Lots of different ones, and we have a lot more to talk about. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, but none of them fit one, one story. Everyone has their own story, and what's fascinating and wonderful about it is God uses that story. Some are impacted by God's word. Okay, so yeah, I say, what do these stories tell us about conversion? Uh, Role of God's word. God's word speaks, and people are just moved to uh, tears about it. But what we found out about it was that God's word doesn't come out of nowhere in these stories. Like Josiah. Josiah. Lydia. That's another one that we didn't mention. Lydia. The centurion... Uh, who they were God fears, it's called. We don't know what that means exactly. Maybe they were Jewish, a Jewish faith. But they all they all had some word in their background. No, God's word doesn't necessarily come out of nowhere unto itself, but it has something attached to it, which we'll talk about in a second. Oh, argument. We didn't we didn't mention a single argument. There was no argument that we mentioned. Although there is, there is, there is one in particular in Acts 17, where Paul goes to Athens, and, and at the I can never say this correctly. Acropolis, thank you. Um, 
And he gives an argument. Does anyone know how that argument went? Like how it turned out? How did it turn out for him? Yeah, well, yeah, and he used, he used actually philosophers to argue. What's interesting is he, uh, he, what did he not use? Yeah, he didn't use the Bible. <laughs> well, he didn't, yeah, I, should, I take that back. He didn't use proof texts. He, I mean, he used a, a, a godly argument or like, you know, he used uh, what we, we would say is good theology. He used what his All right, which goes to the role of relationship. Paul's, in this circumstance, what did Paul do first before he talked? Yes, he listened. He, he listens. This is great stuff. Uh, oh, the argument, though. Yeah, it turned out okay. Some believed. Some, some mocked him. And then some said, eh, let's come back tomorrow. Maybe we will hear a little bit more. Nicodemus, that, that would be a whole other thing where um, he was debating about the interpretation of Scripture, which, you know, it has a role of conversion in it, which is a conversion story. Thank you. That is a conversion story, but not one that we typically think of, like, hey, I was a drug dealer, and then God loved me, and I, I gave up drug dealing. We have one who was, like, in seminary. Well, actually, he was a pastor. Didn't quite understand things and asked a teacher who was smarter than him, can you help me? And it was like, whoa. Yeah. So, but it was a conversion story. Okay, so I've never really got to the, my first point. What is conversion? Deals with repentance. What does repentance mean? Saying, I'm sorry for things. No, that's not it. Repentance is actually changing, transformation. Walking one way, then, then turning around and walking the other way. That is repentance. Uh. It's not necessarily an emotional thing. It can be a life. It's basically a life changer. That's what conversion is. And, you know, last, you know, this last Sunday I said, you know, how long does it take on to take a good habit? How, how long does it take to form a good habit? It's not 21 days. Eight, at least eight months. But we always presume at the end of the eight months then we can just stop doing something, but actually it's for the rest of your life. I mean, it, to form a good habit, it is for the rest of your life. Okay. Uh, oh, the role of relationship then. Ruth is a very good example. Now, we don't know the details of that story. But Ruth leaves her family, her network of love, her, I mean, just leaves everything. That any normal person would say, this is good. This, this is how people are going to take care of you. She left that and went with Naomi. Something must have happened between Naomi and Ruth in order for Ruth to, to do that. So a very powerful relationship. Um, listening. We already mentioned that. The... Uh, Almost never. Yeah, I didn't do a full study on all the conversions in the Bible. Plus, I couldn't think of all of them. Um, never is there a point where someone speaks first. Listening is always the first move. Yeah. 
well, even like with Paul, like for instance, when he starts, you know, he just gets up and starts talking, but of course, in order for him to speak, he listens first. Um, the, uh, yeah, let's see here. Yeah, okay, well, I, I, yeah, I just want to make sure, I, I think that holds true for everybody. Oh, the, uh, uh, oh, role of love. I, the reason why I bring up love is kind of counter to argument. Um, something that was was very popular, like in the 1980s, 70s, in within the Christian Church in America, was a, a variety of programs. But one of them was called Evangelism Explosion, and that was that that was good. I mean, that that was a good thing. But one of the things about Evangelism it was it was based on argument, not combative argument, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you about you know, how you don't believe in God. And, uh, you know, it's fine. But the role of love wasn't, wasn't fundamental. And I would say that that has to be fundamental. Well, yeah. Which people sometimes... Oh, sometimes do and sometimes don't. King Josiah. You have a whole, whole bunch of people who didn't even know they were sinning. I don't like that. <laughs> Right. You're a killjoy. They don't see that in yes. or they just think they're basically good. Yeah, we can see right. So it's hard to but what's the big deal? talk someone into that they need right. something when they don't see that. Yep. Now which now goes to well, so the role of church life. So this would be another thing. So this I would say this is the antidote to what Kirby just said is you have a church life that is so full of love and life itself that people say, why, why is it like that? You will find out in reading it. Oh, so, okay, this all has to do with reading the book. You'll see uh, the, the role of God's word, argument, relationship, love, and church life in, in uh, Jennifer Fulwile's story. And as you read her story, I want you to ask yourself, you know, first of all, have you experienced these same things? And if you haven't, you know, that could mean a variety of things. That might mean that, hey, you, uh, you have more to experience. Um, it could mean that, you know, God just doesn't have that in store for you, which could be a good thing. Um, but the role of church life is, is very important. I think we ran a margin comment one time where, uh, I think it was like something where uh, we'll have more Christians as soon as the church starts to throw better parties. <laughs> Which, of course, is why St. John throws parties a lot. <laughs> it's true. Um, but I, you know that's that's actually true, and that's kind of the vision of heaven, right? It's 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 filled with great joy and uh, life. Um, why was I bringing that up again? Oh, oh, because of, of uh, the, this notion of of sin. Because one of the things is is when one one asks themselves, "Why am I not like that?" What are they actually doing? Yeah, but what are they saying about themselves? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. When when someone sees a uh, 
someone who's experiencing a lot of life and love, and they ask themselves, you know, why am I not like that? What are they actually saying about themselves? Yeah, they're missing something. So as, as Christians, we listen. What are they missing? And is there a story in Scripture that can help us talk to them? Not only talk to them, but, you know, love them. Okay. Um, we're running out of time here. The, okay, so let's fi- I'm just going to finish up with this, this last one because um, is, uh, I think we can just flip the, flip the page over. Yeah, there's some, like, nonsense that I, I wrote down from Martin Luther. But... Um, It's, uh, it's really good nonsense, but it's, um, the, uh, uh, yeah, so, okay, so, the, uh, uh, conversion is, uh, as varied as people, it's an everyday experience. This, this is, uh, I, I meant that in two ways. One is, it just happens, it's, it's like we sometimes are surprised at, at, at conversion, but it happens because God happens and God is alive and God is active. So it's, it's surprise is, uh, it, it's, we, we shouldn't be too surprised when it happens, but we're always joyful when it happens. It's also an everyday experience because I have to be converted every day. And that was, that's some of the nonsense from Martin Luther there. He, uh, I can't remember which bullet point that is. It's, I think it's the third one. Every day we are converted. Uh, and then, okay, conversion is grounded to God's word. Oh, the life of the church. Oh, Philippian, uh, the Philippian jailer and Lydia, Ethiopian eunuch, kind of throughout Acts. The conversion stories. They are all converted very, very, it's, it's very ritual oriented. The jailer, he hears these people praying and, and singing. They're still there. You know what? You know what I must do to be saved. You know that's code. Like, how, how do I become part of you? And what happens? Well, they go to his house, they baptize, they preach, and then they have a meal. Which you know, I mean, I don't want to read into it, but um, they have a meal. What does that sound like? Sounds like church, right? Um. And so, so it, it, it's like when people are converted, the normal life of church, that's just, we're welcomed into the normal life of the church. This is just, this is what Christians do. Thank you, Gretchen, for wearing the t-shirt today. This is what Christians do. Um, yeah, I mean, people are baptized, then they're brought into the life of the church to hear God's word, and then they're, they're brought into the life of, of a party. The, the, yeah, the, so the, the, the dinner is one of, of great rejoicing and feasting. I mean, right? I mean, we always have cake. I mean, birthday party. You can't have a birthday party without a cake. Or food. Something. Have you ever always contemplated why we always eat at celebrations? <laughs> Maybe it's because God had it that way. I don't know. Okay, so, uh, so th- that was the other thing, too. Is, so as, as we uh, read Jennifer's story, at the end, it will seem so normal. I mean, it's a very great story, very interesting story. That at the end, it's so kind of common. And the jailer's story is the same way. It just kind of just kind of comes in and 
starts living the life of, of, of uh, living life within the church. He just does what, what Christians do. But within the normalcy of that life, there is an explosion of love and life itself. Okay. So next week, as we read, I think it's pages 9 through 33, or, you know, 9 through the rest of the book. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that um, she tells a story. So I ask a question, how does coercion play in Jennifer's story, which would have been just within the first 33 pages? And what would be the antidote to the coercion? And then uh, how does the role of creation play in her story? So what we'll find out is, is, is Jennifer has some existential crises. And we'll see what God does with those throughout the book. And we'll read about the first one this next week. Okay. Any questions? If you so want to check out those conversion stories, BibleGateway.com is very helpful. You can just type in all those words and out will come the story. It's nice. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.